Welcome to Colt Wrangler Radio. Today I got my buddy Dylan Sampson, buddy, bandmate. That's right. All around dude, bullfighting coach. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, man. Like music coach, kind of. It's like you got guiding me in, in, in music as well. Yeah, it's dude, been you're kind of like the wizard. It's been fun, man. I've enjoyed it. Um, my time in New Braunfels has been it's been really fun, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm glad I moved down here for the stint that I did. You know? Dude, me too. I'm really glad I met you. Yeah. It was cool because we you know we met through mutual friends and we kind of started talking about music that we were into and connecting on that level. And then start talking, and it's like, oh, you grew up like in a rodeo family too, and and then, and then it ends up that you were one of the original members of Dolly Shine, right? Uh, not the original, but very close. Yeah, yeah, they, right. They were around for a little bit before me. Um, I was going to college out in West Texas, and they were playing around, and yeah, had some mutual friends, and found out they needed a bass player, and left college to go to go play with those guys. Yeah, there you go. And their yeah. singer, Zach McGeehan, I used to ride bulls with him because right. we both grew up in Mason. Yeah. And we used to, like, fill feeders together and, like, go to the practice pen together and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, then, and funny thing about that, one of his last, you know, what they used to call them, like, tour and pro, like the minor league PBR uh-huh. events back then. It was like the smokeless tobacco tour or whatever. But one of his last rodeo or bull ridings, my dad and them hauled bulls to that. To oh, that really? Bull riding. Yeah. So we hit it off on that. And he's like, wait a second, who's your pops? And I told him, he's like, yeah, they had bulls there, man. I can't, I don't think he got on because he got wrecked out like his last event. He got hurt pretty bad. Did he? Um, but yeah, it was just kind of small world. Like that's kind of been my whole journey, man. It's just my past coming into like, you know, with people and having these common common themes and you know whether it was from you know the rodeo world into the music world like it seemed like they overlap they do quite a bit you yeah know? And, and then you uh, throw that mo- motorcycle world in there a little bit yeah you know yeah. when did you start riding bikes man I, I tooled around on bikes growing up you know dirt bikes here and there but i never you know never raced bikes or did anything like that it was just out in the pasture right. you know running around and then Got around you guys and, and uh, got really into it and bought a bike and tooled around River Road and did the whole thing. and. But it know. is all those worlds, and it's it's all connections. Yeah, yeah, And, and I've noticed that, though, like having a foot in the motorcycle world and in the music world where, like, you know, you got a couple different – you're in a couple different camps, and everything starts overlapping. And, yeah. and there's this triangle, you know. And yeah, no, it, it just, is. And it's then a, you start meeting people, and then opportunities come. So, like, I meet you, and then – we're showing you the music that we're working on and the drop times, and you're like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. And so now you're our bass player. <laughs> yeah. No, you know? I, I dug it, man. And then you decided to move to Nashville. <laughs> well, opportunities, you know, that's what life's all about. I just, you know. Tell wanna, us, wanna tell jump us about on. that. Well, uh, let's go. Like, I'm kind of skipping because I'm just going to you. I already know your story <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So for people that don't know, like, let's start with, how you grew up and like where you grew up because that's pretty interesting yeah man i grew up uh little little community in southern oklahoma um i I say i'm from love county because you know i kind of i went to school in marietta graduated from thackerville just kind of ran around love county so you know people from there that part of the world a lot of people do say where you from i'm from love county you know not just a specific place but yeah no it's a place in southern oklahoma i mean right on the border um right on the red river 
from where I grew up, you could look on my parents' um, front porch and see Gainesville, Texas. Like, it was right there. Right there. And when you look at it on a map, people used to give me shit all the time. Like, oh, you're from Texas. You're basically from Texas. You know, Pretty it's much. like, no, those people from there, <laughs> when you cross that river, it's... Uh, it's different, huh? It's damn sure Oklahoma, you know. But, but yeah, grew up there. Um, my dad and his friend, you know, when I was like sixth, fifth grade, started raising some bucking bulls and hauling bulls to some uh, some kind of local rodeos and then got their <clears> string up where they were going to some some touring pro events and stuff. And, yeah, I grew up around a lot of bucking bulls, started fighting bulls, and went to Frank Newsom bullfighting school when That's I was awesome. 14. And, yeah, worked for a guy named Chad Raymer who put on high school rodeos for a couple of years and got my ass run over a bunch, you know. Um, <laughs> you start fighting pretty young, right? Yeah, like yeah. 14, 15? Yeah, like 13, we started bucking some yearlings. I remember my so my pops and them – they they would go to like these just local sale barns and just buy 20 yearlings like yeah and they'd buck them and coal whatever didn't buck keep what did and yeah we were bucking some some f1 crosses with dummies and um i was kind of the kid that run out and pick up the dummy you know, right whenever they'd buck it off and i run out in the middle of this pen get this dummy and this little hot f1 turn around and come at me and just instinct kicked in you know and and uh just from what I'd seen on TV and whatnot, I threw a fake, and he run by me, and, man, it just kind of – You got hooked? Got hooked, and the next time we bucked, like, I wore my baseball cleats, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, it's like it's yeah, on. Yeah, and one would bay up at the end of the pen, I'd run out there and try to get him to come at me and stuff. And, and yeah, that just kind of morphed into the practice pen when they'd buck bulls. Kid gets his, you know, gut stomped out. You know, you kind of feel bad just watching him get hooked, so. right. Just kind of started getting out there and fighting bulls, and then got to the point where I was starting to do some high school stuff for Chad Raymer, and figured that I might ought to go get a little more advice on it. So my dad was buddies with Frank, and Frank got me into his bullfighting school, and went and did that whole deal. And yeah, no, I fought bulls till I was 18. Had a little leg injury that kind of put me down one summer, and and I'd already been kind of playing guitar and music and stuff and um i didn't have nothing to do that summer but lay on a couch with my foot up so started playing every day picking up and you know i'd turn on like cmt and watch the dude's hands and like, oh, it's a g chord it's a c chord and by the end of that summer you know i was strumming along with like all the <laughs> all the top yeah. 40 songs at that time and uh yeah never fought another bull again just kind of you know, in the same way that I got bit by that bug when that little F1 came up, came at me, you know, right. I figured out that like, man, you know, this isn't rocket science, you know, it's all about these progressions and these patterns and it just kind of fell in. Yeah. I kind of wrapped my mind around it, you know, and. And when you're laid up, you're like, this is way more sustainable. Because that's <laughs> yeah. the worst times to think about yeah. getting back at it is when you're hurting and you just, everything goes into perspective, right? Oh, it's like, yeah. like, what am I doing here? Like. Yeah, and is it that, was. Is that what was going through your mind? Yeah, because, you know, it was one of those deals, that, like, it was fun, um, you know, at the time when you're in high school and you don't have anything to really worry about. You're not paying bills. The only thing you got to yeah. worry about is getting up the next day and finding something to do, you know. And I met some cool people doing it. I mean, one of the first rodeos ever worked uh, was with Cody Webster. Oh, really? Yep, yep. Uh, Davis, Oklahoma. There's Sulphur, Oklahoma. 
me and Cody worked a little Sunday play day together. That's awesome. Yep. And he's the main man yeah. now. Yeah, and from that little Sunday play day is when Chad Raymer, you know, he was a year older than me. If I was 13, he was 14, and he was already working, like, some rodeos in the area at 14 years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there's a kid that's at the, all the CPRA events. He's only 15. Yeah. And that sucker, he's good. Yeah, and he like, was the same. I mean, dude, it was crazy. You know, I'd never seen anyone my age kind of just get in there on one's head and just right. pick one up, you know, at that age. Yeah. And he was a little bitty dude. I mean, he was a little skinny, short dude. And for my age, I was already kind of taller at that age. I was bigger than he was. And, um, yeah, yeah, we worked quite a few rodeos together. Me and old Webster. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Now, did your dad rodeo? Like, how did? Yeah, my pops he fought bulls um, back in the eighties. He fought bulls, and then um, yeah, he kind of got out of it. He worked a factory job and retired from that job. And his friend, um, name was Rex. He took an interest in the bull business, and and yeah, my dad just kind of hopped in with him and started. Like I said, they would literally just go to sell barns. And if they thought the bull was hot or had a little bramer in him, they'd buy him, take him home, we'd buck him. And if he didn't buck, they'd send him right back, you know. Yeah, right. But that first little string of bulls that they started hauling around were just cell barn bulls. And that's kind of how it used to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. everything was just a, a kind of a mutt. You know, yeah. every rodeo bull is just this mix <laughs> of all kinds of stuff. And, yeah. and then it just kind of turns into a look, you mm-hmm. know. And then... Then there's names and labels put on them. Now it's like all bloodline and, like, yeah. you know. I mean, I yeah. guess that's just how things go. Just, yeah, it was interesting. But it's cool because we've kind of seen it come to that because when we were kids going to rodeos like little kids, it wasn't, I mean, there was probably a lot of bulls that were just sale barn bulls. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. I remember them bringing home, like, you know, some big old, like, beef master, you know, stuff i remember they brought home this full bred hereford one time <laughs> yeah and the only reason they bought him because he was back there in the back just hooking everybody really? in the back and he's like hell we'll buy you no he kind of no. he didn't kick over a snuff can but he would spin right in the last oh really yeah i always i think herefords are great like starter like practice bulls because a lot of times they're just super mellow and a lot of times they just they just jump kick down the pin yeah. and like that's what i was getting on going from like calves and steers and stuff like that to like, all right, I need to be getting on full-size bulls, but like they were just kind of putting me on Herefords that would just jump kick down the pin, but it was something big to get your legs around, right? you know? And and uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of – I wish I'd seen more out of, of those kind of bulls like at the practice pins that these guys showing up wanting to get on their first bull. Yeah. You know, I wish we had like three or four Herefords <laughs> in the back. No, it was interesting, man. Like Rex and my dad, they talk like – the high school football team and to come in and like getting on some bulls yeah. and stuff. They put them on rank stuff uh, or what? Well, you know, at that time we were just starting to get some bloodline coming in. So yeah, I mean it, they were ranker than what we had had before, mm-hmm. and what Rex and them would was buying. Um, but it was kind of a little catch twenty two because for me, they were just buying stuff that was hot, you know. Yeah. So I was the kid that was having to be out there every Wednesday night and fight these. You know, yeah, so you're just hot cell barn like bulls. turds like yeah, every they, time. And some of them would go out there and, and they wouldn't buck worth a shit, but as soon as they bucked that dude off, it was game on. Somebody was getting yeah, hooked. You it know? was no more kick either. They're not right, like no. they're just coming at you. So, you know, I'm 14, 15 years old just getting eat up on a Wednesday night so for no money. Too, dude. For no money. Yeah. You know, and these kids never been on bulls or getting hung up. 
They're, and, they're not letting go, like all right. kinds of Are they falling off right underneath their head? Yeah, or, the you know, they don't have enough sense. Like, they'd fall off, and then if they were kind of, like, banged up her, they'd just lay there. Yeah. And, you know, the wreck was on. Yeah. So that was kind of the deal for me. It was like, man, I probably should, like, go to bullfighting school and figure out some some ins and outs of, like, what's actually happening here. Because for me, it was just take a hook and – if this kid's laying there and this bull's coming, you know, you would just get in front of him and take a hook. And, yeah, you know? right. Um, Was there some key things that, like, really unlocked everything for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there was tons. You know, Frank, we did tons of dummy work, and the first thing that he would kind of emphasize was, like, watch a bull and how he's kicking. And if a bull's got a lot of kick, it gives you a little more liberty to work around him. You know, if you're watching that flank and he's kicking – you know, when they're up on their front legs, they can't they can't walk on the front legs. Yeah. So that gives you that split second to make a move and get in there. And if he is hot and he levels out, then kind of kind of get your shit together and speed up because he's right. coming. But that was a big one for me. Because like I said, at that time, you know, we're talking like 2006, 5, 6, 7, 8. Freestyle really wasn't, wasn't as big as it is now. Right. It was in that lull, yep. you know. To where Wrangler wasn't putting on freestyle bullfights, um, protection bullfighting was like a big deal, mm-hmm. you know. And there were protection matches that people were putting on, and guys right. were going to. So the whole bullfighting world was geared towards protection, and it was all, you know, who who can take a hook in and keep coming back, you know? Right. It was like He's this, jump on their heads. Yeah, the it was like hit. this Rob Smets like toughness thing, you know. Yeah. To where now yeah. it's it's all about smoothness and elegance and working around these bulls you know yeah and i didn't know anything but watching old bloopers and bullfighting you know those dudes just jump on their head they just yeah and this was early days of youtube so you couldn't just go to youtube and type in like skipper voss and like right you know so you had to literally dig back and like my dad had tons of old like nfr vhs that's what we used to have yeah, too my dad would record the nfr so we'd you know christmas time come around we'd i'd sit there and watch these old clips of like Jimmy Anderson and Frank, um, Rob, I mean, a bunch of those old cats. And, you know, it's these dudes wearing, like, motocross vests yeah. under their, under their Mo Betta shirts and yeah. just getting eat up, you know. So when I was coming up, that's what I thought I had to do, take a hooking just mm-hmm. constantly. And going to that school and meeting Frank and some of those guys, it's like, no, like, get in there, pick him up, and take him away from the wreck. You know, you ain't got to bring him to the wreck and both of y'all get eat up, you know? Right, right. So that was a big, that was a big awakening for me. It's like, man, you, you don't have to be hurt all the time. You know? Right, yes. You can work an event and not get the shitty hooked out of you. So. Right, yeah. There's always going to be that occasion that you can't control, but yeah. like, there's a lot of it that you can. Yeah. You know? But do you remember all those, uh, talking about old VHS tapes? Man, I wish we had. I, we used to have a bunch of that stuff. Um, I wish I had it now, but remember all those Mexican bullfighting? Oh, yeah. Uh, or those Mexican rodeos? Yeah, they have a little skull and crossbones. Yeah, like when somebody died like at the bottom and they'd have yeah. a skull and crossbones. I mean, they'd be dragging bodies oh, out yeah. of the arena. And then and then there would be, uh, I mean, just wild stuff. Then they'd pan into the into the stands and there'd be like... A fight? There'd be like three people kicking the shit out of one <laughs> yeah. guy in the stands. And then there's like bodies out in the arena and they're like dragging... They'd run out there. This guy'd get hooked to be knocked out or dead or something. 
couple of guys would run out there, grab him by his feet, start to drag him, and that bull would turn around. And they'd just drop the dude and like run, just, yeah, and drag him under the fence. It yeah. was and there'd wild. be twenty ropes out there. This bull would have ten ropes hanging off of him. Dude, yeah. crazy, crazy. It's just like that's a whole another world. And like, had my dad's like got a couple stories, and some other guys I've worked with where they had went and uh, rode some bulls like in Mexico, and like totally different. Oh, and yeah, do your dad ever have any stories like that? No, but he definitely, we'd go to like flea markets and he would find a bin that had those those old Mexican rodeo vid. And dude, he'd buy like 10 of them. We'd sit there on a Sunday and watch them. Dude, yeah, my dad used to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was watching it with shock and all. Yeah, like, dude, me crazy. too. I was like 10 years old watching this dude get his head crushed in, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like MMA, but yeah, like, like if they died. Like jackass wasn't shit. Like I was yeah. watching this stuff as a kid. No, know? that stuff was, was wild. I remember, uh, oh, it's, I'm forgetting his last name. I used to work with this guy, Brad, and he, he used to train Colts at uh, the King Ranch, but he was a professional saddle bronc rider, and, and uh, he rode bulls too. And he would go, I worked with him uh, on the weekends and stuff, and then he would come to the practice pen, and he would teach me, like, bronc riding and stuff and, and help me with my bull riding and everything just for fun, just hanging out, you know. But he told the story. They went down to Mexico, and, like, the it was a circular arena, and they had, like, the chute in the middle of the arena, <laughs> and they drug the bull into the chute, right? And so, they all had halters. All those bulls yeah, had halters on uh-huh. them, yeah. And they uh, – he got on and, you know, rode his bull, American style, rode his bull, got off at eight seconds, and, like, the crowd booed him. They started throwing <laughs> shit at him, you know, because it was, like, th- how they do it is, like, you ride until you get yeah, and knocked out or bucked off. Like, they hook themselves in. Oh, yeah. So you don't get off until you're, like, a, basically a rag doll, like, getting tossed out, you know? Yeah. So it's just funny. Like, they didn't take well to that at yeah. all. Yeah, that shit was wild, man. Yeah. That's crazy, though. And I have a couple of friends I've met at Bullfighting School in California. And those guys, they kind of have the, they do some of the American events, and then they do a lot of the uh, Mexican events that are down there. Oh, wow. And I love watching their stories because you kind of get in the behind the scenes. It's just a totally different way of doing everything. Yeah. Like, they they got halters on all the bulls. They don't have any pins for the bulls. They literally have them all tied up. Wow. Like, along the fence. It's really cool. That's wild. And then they have a dance in the arena afterwards. It's like, <laughs> I want to go. It's, That'd be fun, yeah. And it's not as like, those videos we were watching in the 80s stuff was like super gnarly. Yeah. Like this stuff isn't as gnarly as that, but it's still wild. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, some of that stuff I still think about. It's like, man, I probably shouldn't have been watching that when I was a kid. But I think, man, it probably did some good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What was everybody else watching at that time? True. What were kids at our age watching? I don't know. I didn't have I didn't have TV growing up in the house. Did, is that how it was for you? No, we had TV. You did? Yeah. Okay. My parents were like, no. yeah, you know, we had black and white movies and those videos like that <laughs> rodeo blo- rodeo bloopers. And then whenever I started riding, I, I quit watching anything like that. Yeah. Was that how it was for you? Man, when I started fighting bulls, it was just like, and I've always kind of been the type that like whenever I'm interested in something, you know, that's what I'm doing, hundred percent. And I just geeked out, man. Um, and I, we talked about it the other day, but it was like the early days of uh, the UBF, which is big now. Yeah. You know, and I actually got asked to go to one in North Carolina, and, and I didn't think I was ready to. I turned it down. But um, You regret it? I don't know. I fought a couple Mexicans. Um, one at bullfighting school, matter of fact. Frank brought this Mexican 
And since I kind of had known Frank before that and known Webster and those guys, they knew that I'd been fighting bulls a little bit. So when they loaded this Mexican in the pen or in the chute, like they were like, hey, Samson, like you want to show these guys what's up? You want to fight him first? I was like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Not really, but what do you do? You know, Frank Newsom asked you to get Yeah, what are you going to wimp out? I hopped down off the fence and called for this thing, and, and he was an old Mexican too. And I threw a fake. He took that first fake, and he blew by me. And turned around, I squared up again, and I threw the same fake to the same side. And I'll never forget it. He his head just went like this, boom, right back, and he fucking run smooth over me, knocked the wind out of me. I mean, he just camped out, camped out, and they had to come and got him off of me. Oof. But I'll never forget that dude just laying up, balled up, and him snorting, hooking the piss out dude, of him. Dude, that's the scariest moment. Like, yeah. you're pinned. Yeah. You know? And oh, you're yeah. you're like, any second, it's going to be that one good hoof or that one mm-hmm. good horn that's really going to hurt me. Yeah. You know? I've still got a picture at the house, old pick, but I'm on the ground about to get up, and he's right there, right on my head, dude. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I fought another Mexican. Um, Chad Rammer used to haul around this half-breed Mexican that was like a smoky gray color. which was just as straight as an era his back was. And they'd buck him. Same deal. He didn't kick over a snuff can. But for those high school rodeos, he would just come out there and spin as fast as he could. Real flat. Yeah. And his number was Oct 20. I'll never forget it. And, uh, yeah, when he bucked a kid off, it was on. The wreck was on. He was going to hook everybody in the pen. Wow. I hate those, man. Yeah. But especially, you know. And he would buck him last, too. He would try to make a point to, like, load him last because it was, like, kind of selling the show right. for, the, for the crowd, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, a lot of those kids, you know, they all went to the same. It was like it was called the MRCA, Miniature Rodeo Association in Oklahoma. So you get a lot of these kids going to the same rodeos, you know, and you get to know these kids getting on these bulls. And every night when somebody drew Ot 20, it was like, fuck, here we go. <laughs> You know, because he's 15. Somebody's going to get hooked. 16-year-old kids just dreading, you know, and you could see it back there. They'd be throwing up, like, nervous. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, two, if a bull doesn't have a lot of kick and he's real flat like yeah, that, you, they're going to get in the well. They're going to be right under him. They're not getting blown out. No, So exactly. he's going to come right around. His head yeah. is ready to just go hit something. Oh, yeah. And so I, you're either, it's either you get hooked, he gets hooked, or you both get hooked. Or God forbid, yeah, a kid gets hung up. You know what I mean? But I remember one night, I don't remember, I don't know what Chad did, if he put more flank in him or what, but he did. He come out blowing, and he threw this kid off right in front of him. And I ran in there and jumped right on his head, dude. Threw me up. And it was a little bitty pin. We were in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. And the pin, it was kind of like one of those long, narrow pins, you know. And it had, like, chicken wire. Not chicken wire, but like that really fine... Like, you couldn't get a clean in it to get up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I don't know why they did that. Not good stuff. No, but he hit me and knocked the breath out of me, and I just took off for the fence. And I jumped on the fence, and I got one leg over, and this leg was still on the other side. And that bull lunged. Fucking hit my leg in between that pot. Mm. This leg right here. and that Did you was, break it? I'm pretty sure I had a fracture, but I never went to the doctor. Right. You know, yeah. it swelled up and got blue. But um, that was it. That was the injury that that put me down. That <laughs> right there it goes, Gunner, guard dog. <laughs> I guess there'll be a time in this podcast where I'll leave him outside <laughs> if you can hear him. Yeah, but so then that puts you up. You start playing with guitar, 
and, uh, and well, then a little backstory. I mean, I had had a guitar, you know, I get, so I had an uncle that was a guitar player and old country picker and he was a native dude and he had a band way back in the day. So I was always kind of interested in it, you know, but I never took it serious. You know, my grandparents bought me a guitar and I could play some chords on it, but it was never, I never had enough gumption to like learn an entire song or like, you know, go any further. I had a chord book, knew a few chords, did that whole thing. And then, you know, when that happened, it was like, I don't know, something clicked, you know. I found this enjoyment in it. I found, you know, because I would always watch those guys be like, I can never do that, you know. Yeah. These guys are way better than me. I'll never be that good. Right. And for whatever reason, that three months that I had to just focus and and really kind of dissect what was going on, you know, the same deal. I just dove into it. I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. And uh, just fell in love with it. You know, and it was one of those things that, like, I just never kind of set it back down. Right. I've always just kind of been trying to dig and, and find out more about it and get better at it, and it's turned into a career. So from there, you uh, you went to South Plains, right? Was that kind of like the next step for you? Like, yeah. Or did so, you start playing in some bands and then get real serious and then, like, now I really want to go get an education about music? Or how'd yeah. that go? When I was in high school, um, so another little backstory, my grandparents on my dad's side um my grandfather he worked at electrical co-op and retired after 30 years and his dream was to buy a fifth wheel and him and my grandma travel the country and go to bluegrass festivals they love bluegrass music Mm -hmm. and i did too i really dug it as a kid so i started going these bluegrass festivals with them and same you know i was getting into it i was seeing all these amazing bluegrass pickers and just being around those guys, you're picking up on stuff and progressing without even knowing it, you know. Just sitting there jamming with them, you know, these progressions and these old songs and picking up on that stuff. And I met a guy at a bluegrass festival in Davis, Oklahoma. And he gave me his card and he said, uh, you know, when you turn 18, give me a call and I'll come, you know, let you tour my campus. I teach at this bluegrass school <clears throat> in West Texas. And I said, bluegrass? Like, you can go to college and study bluegrass? And he said, yeah. This school's called South Plains. You know, give me a call. So I did. I mean, for that next year and a half, it's all I thought about. It's like, man, I want to go play bluegrass. You know, like I'm going to yeah. go to college. And I would tell people this, and they'd be like, I didn't even know you played guitar. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. I want to go. I'm going to go uh, study bluegrass. And I remember all my friends were like, dude, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> and I did. And I called him when I was a senior, and me and my grandpa drove out there toward the campus, and yeah. That was it. I was like, I'm going to... Were your grandparents pretty stoked? Oh, yeah. Super stoked, you know. Again, they were a little worried. It's like, hmm, how's this kid going to make a living doing this? You know, they, and everyone at that time thought it was just going to be a little two-year thing that I was going to do and come back home. and Like most people. Go to work, you know. You know, yeah. yeah. There's, that, there's that small percentage that kind of busts through that ceiling. And then now you're finding yourself in high demand, like you have options. Yeah, kind no, of... it wasn't always like that. There were some rough years, man. You know, I went to school out there for two years. Um, oh, I kind of get ahead of myself. Yes, if I was playing in, in high school. Yeah, when I was in high school, I played with this woman named Leanne Hart, who was J.W. Hart's wife. Oh, okay. Uh, they're from my hometown. The bull rider, J.W. Hart. Yeah, and she had a little gospel band, and you know, she knew my dad and my parents and everybody, and 
she just kind of took a chance on me, let me come just strum rhythm guitar in her band, you know, just kind of stay out of the way and just strum right. chords. Yeah. But it was a it was a big deal for me because I got to play in front of people, you know. And the nights that I didn't totally screw up, you know, it was just like a victory. It was like, man, that felt good, you know. Right. And uh, and that that kind of yeah, that got lit you the, warmed up to it. Yeah, that lit the fire, you know. That same it wasn't the same adrenaline rush you get getting hooked by a bull, but it was. Uh, it feels cool. It was enough to kind of justify the work I was putting in, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, no, went to school and. Met a lot of people out there, a lot of people that are still doing really cool things. Um, um, yeah. What um, was your first, like, successful band? Like, first band that you started with that then, like, gained traction, and then all of a sudden you guys are touring? Yeah, Dolly Shine. I mean, when I first joined Dolly Shine, they were just kind of starting to tour, you know what I mean? Like, the entire state of Texas and Oklahoma. We had our little pockets, you know, like Lubbock, West Texas. We had a lot of college kids that would come out and stuff, you know. But we had a song called uh, Should Have Known that was a big kind of Texas charting song that we'd go places and people would be singing it back to us, you know. Yeah. And that was one of those moments that was like, wow. Yeah, this is this is bigger than I realized yeah, it was. Yeah, and you meet people after the show that are like, man, that was this song got me through a lot of tough times or – you know, this is my favorite song. You know, I jam this every day after class. You know, it's one of those times it's like, okay, well, this is kind of something that means something to people other than us. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. always cool. Yeah, no, it was fun, man. Um, I hear, uh, shoot, I'll be at rodeos and I'm like, oh, they're playing a Dolly Shine song. Yeah. Or they're playing a yeah. Dan Quayle song. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, Dylan, Dylan. <laughs> you know? No, it's it's kind of been a band that, in, in at least this region, has, has kind of had some legs to it. It really has. And then... Like, that was probably the big stepping stone into, like, you getting the foot in the door with even bigger acts. Yeah. Right? Because then you, yeah. you're touring with them, or you're opening for all those bands, and then all of a sudden you're a guy that they know, and they got your number, and somebody needs somebody. Yeah. Is, is that kind of how it went down? Yeah, it's exactly how it went down. We did a, a festival in Dallas called uh, Texas Mardi Gras, and we were, like, the first band that day, you know, one of those deals nobody's really there except for the band that's waiting to go on behind you, you know? Yeah. And we played and had a really good set, um, played in front of the damn quails. And got to talking to those guys afterwards, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're all from Oklahoma, you know, and I was from Oklahoma, and we kind of hit it off on that. And one thing led to another. About a month later, I got a phone call. I was like, hey, our guy left, you know, we need, we need a bass player. You want to come do it? And at that time, damn quails was – pretty big act i mean yeah. substantially bigger than the band i was in yeah they had a song called fool's gold that was like yeah top of the charts at that time in texas anyhow mm-hmm. and yeah i put in my two weeks notice and went to work for the quails for many years i mean still technically i'm still with the damn quails um they don't play as much anymore but if i have a weekend off and they've got a show you know i'll go play with them yeah that's cool mm-hmm. what's some like but those are probably the two probably crazier like bands you've been in, right? Oh. Like if there was the craziest <laughs> road stories you oh, have, it's dude. probably between Dolly Shine and the Damn Quails, right? We could do an entire podcast just on the Damn Quails, yeah. Tell us like on the wildest <laughs> Damn Quail stories. Oh man, it's not I incriminating. I, I don't anyone. put anybody on the spot, but um, or Dolly Shine on. 
I mean, just a funny road story. You got one? I mean, dude, just, you know, when you're early 20s hopping in a van with other guys that are, you know, kind of the same mindset and you're, you just want to experience it all as much as you can, sometimes in one night, you know? (laughs) Um, Crap, man, where can I go? I mean, yeah, I don't even know where to begin. Just all the stuff that you've heard of, you know, of bands doing on the road, we did it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to excess yeah just living in a van too huh oh yeah living in it sleeping in it eating in it i mean it was filthy which is funny because you're like a real neat and tidy guy yeah and and like us playing just a short amount of time we played together it's like we've shared hotel rooms and been yeah. vehicles together and and you and i are both very tidy so it's like cool we like to have but <laughs> you know yeah. i, I I, I've, no. I've seen the quad cab pickup truck that you know Dolly Shine was touring in that oh, dually, yeah. and like it was not neat and tidy. You know, it's no, like, I've I've calmed down a lot. You know, back in those days when you're drinking and smoking as much as we was, a lot of that shit kind of goes to the wayside. Right, you just kind of get over. You're just it, living you know? in yeah, the moment. Exactly. You know. Yeah, I remember one night we met this old boy. He would just moved down from Colorado, and he was like a botanist. And he was telling That's a botanist. us he like studied plants and stuff. Oh, okay. But he was like an expert. Yeah, he was an expert. <laughs> he had a green thumb. We'll just put it that yeah. way. And he had told us he he lived out in I think it was Cisco, just right north of Cisco. And we was going from Stephenville to either Abilene or Mineral Wells. So we was going through there, you know. And he said, "Yeah, you know, give me a call, meet me here, and I'll hook y'all up. I like you boys. I like your music. I'll give y'all some." Some green for the road, you know. It's like, all mm-hmm. right, cool. So we meet up this old boy, and the amount of weed that he gave us was way more than what we paid for. But I was the only one with cash, so I obviously had to buy it. So I'm standing on the side of the road making this exchange, and I was just excited to get this <laughs> massive jar full of weed. And I set my wallet on the back of his uh, tailgate on his pickup. We make the exchange, get in the van, he drives off, we drive off. And we get up the road about 40 miles, and oh, I realize no. my wallet is gone. Terrifying. Terrified. Shit. That's boys. everything. We got to turn around. My wallet's somewhere on the side of some county road in Cisco. Um, obviously, we had to make sound check. We couldn't turn around, you know. So this dude that I'd met one night, didn't know him from Adam, really, called him back. He was like, hey, I think I left my wallet on you, the bed of your pickup. He's like, oh, shit, where? I was like, where we met up? He's like, all right. Dude turns around, goes and searches in the bar ditch and finds it, mm-hmm. drives all the way to the gig that we were playing. Really? Brings me my wallet. <laughs> what a great guy. He was. He was a solid old boy. That's, uh, that's uh, oh, uh, Dusty with Orange Pistol. He's up in that area now. Yeah. That's where he grows his CBD stuff. Oh, cool. I, evidently, like, that's a real good spot. Yeah, for that. I guess so. It was some good, like the mineral wells kind of area. It was good shit. Yeah, that's cool. But man, that did you ever like have some real close calls? Like, cause I don't, I would not feel comfortable with a group of people like that, and then also having drugs in the car and alcohol. Like, there had to been some close calls that were. Yeah, man, there were. Uh, (laughs) There was definitely. You know, times when you're sitting in the van or, you know, going down the road, you don't know what the guy next to you's got in his pocket, you know. Yeah. And you're going 80, and everybody's smoking and drinking on the road, and you pass a highway patrolman, and you're like, shit. 
the fun stops right there. It all there. just kind of hits you, and you're yeah. like, well, this could all go south pretty damn fast. Yeah. You know, we're all just out here playing music and acting like we're invisible, but at the same time, you're not, and, you know, right. something, something serious could go down. No, there are definitely times like that. Um, and I've met and, you know, still close friends with tons of guys that, you know, the music started taking a back seat to all that, you know. Right. And uh, it I turns was, into an addiction where it's like they, they got to have it. And yeah. It gets priority. 100%. And I had told myself early on, you know, it was like, man, I'm when this stops becoming fun, I'm going to do something else, you know. Mm-hmm. And if it's becomes more of a hassle than it than it's worth and i'm gonna move on and and i've had a couple times in my career where it, it come to that point where you know i had to weigh my options and move on from bands you know yeah for better for worse um that's good catching yourself before you go too far down that path you know yeah, some of those yeah. guys it, it, it turns into their identity and everything and they and they can't stop right well I, i'm sure you can relate to this too but the way i was brought up you know it was real you know you were kind of a lot was expected of you you know, um, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always this party, right. you know. Um, so I kind of carried a lot of that with me. It was always, you know, we're having fun now, but what's going to be the consequences of this later down the road? Yeah. Because that's the way I was brought up. Um, yeah, there was always consequences. You left the gate open. You, yeah. You didn't water or you did something, yeah. like, you were in trouble for Right. That. You yeah. know, it wasn't always just uh, – fancy free going down the road like these merry pranksters you know yeah and at the time we thought we were you know, but it all kind of comes full circle eventually so about your raising i mean uh pretty interesting and talk about your native american heritage that's pretty cool yeah yeah my mom's native and i grew up you know southern oklahoma um <clears throat> everyone seemed like had a little native in them you know just kind of growing up i didn't really think much of it until i got a little older yeah. And started realizing that not everybody grew up in that, you know, kind of environment. Um, when I moved to Lubbock to go to school, West Texas was kind of a culture shock. Cause that was the first time I'd ever been out and people were like, speak Spanish to me. You know? Right, yeah. <laughs> they just figured I was, you know, uh, you know, Mexican or whatever. But now I'd have to tell them, oh, I'm Choctaw, you know, southeast Oklahoma, southern Oklahoma. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a big part of that area. Everybody's either, like I said, native, got some native in them, or grandmother was native, you know. It's just right. just the way it is. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. pretty cool to kind of learn to take more pride in it. Yeah. Once. It's, and that's the same thing. It's like move out of a small town, and, and then, like, now I take more pride in where I'm from and, and yeah. how I was raised than I did originally. Originally, oh, yeah. you're just like, I'm just going to do stuff. You know, I don't really care that much. Yeah. And then you look back and then you have a good perspective on it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and for whatever reason, when I moved to Texas, uh, I didn't realize there was this huge, you know, Oklahoma-Texas thing. Yeah. And, man, every time I would open my mouth and somebody said, where are you from? I'm from Oklahoma. It was always met with, oh, hell. Right. Oklahoma, blah, blah, Give blah, blah. Give you a hard blah. time. And for a while I did, I kind of like, oh, well, you know, no, I, I'm from Lubbock. Like I would tell people, right? yeah, I'm from Lubbock. I live in Lubbock, you know. But after a while, it's like, no, I am from that part of the world, and I'm proud to be from there. And, right. And it is a unique part of the world to be proud of. Yeah. You know, for I'm better or for worse, it's got its downside like everybody, everywhere else. But, yeah, you know, there is there is something about it that I'm, I'm still drawn to. I mean, any chance I get, you know, I try to go home and, 
you know, grandparents ain't getting no younger. Parents ain't getting no younger. You know, you want to go spend as much time there as you can. Yeah. Um, That's kind of how I'm starting to feel, too. I'm like, oh, I need to look at how I'm investing my time. Yeah. Especially with my family and, you know, because so much would be, you know, forgotten if I don't take the time to. Yeah. Yeah. And you only got one, you know. Right. Once they're gone, they're gone. Well, that's why I'm doing this, really. It's like I'm getting to this point in my life where I just want to document stuff. That's how Instagram is for me. That's how I date things. I cannot remember dates, like at all. Mm-hmm. But I'll go back through my feed, you know. And now I'm kind of taking social media and, and all different types of media, really just ways to document those good times and those yeah. good memories and put them down on something that yeah can be shared. No, and man, I think it was growing up around a lot of older people. My grandparents were real heavily influenced in my life. My both sides. Um, I always kind of had that, you know, like. Whenever I was young, and you know, I'm still pretty young, but like these are the good old days. You know, yeah. we're gonna look back on this and go, man, I wish I'd have done more. I wish I'd have, you know, kind of took care of those relationships that I had a little better. You know, because yeah. I've heard all those stories. You know, I grew up around people that didn't always do that. Yeah. And you know, when they go to speaking a little truth, it's always, man, I wish I went. I should have. You know. It's good to learn from them. Hundred percent. Can expedite the process. You know, it's like right. And being being a you know a transient kind of like I am, you've got a lot of time to sit behind a window and reflect on that. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and I I really do appreciate those times because yes, I feel like most of my life has been going from one place to another, and you you know you can either sit there and dwell on the negative or you can dwell on you know what you could be doing or should be doing. You know. Yes. So and that's that's kind of some people don't take that time to think or or. It's painful for them to do that, and they get into what we were talking about, where they're just doing a lot of drugs and yeah. doing a lot of drinking. That's Trying their escape from that voided time. Because you do have a lot of time, man. A lot of time. You're sitting in the van for eight hours or whatever, you know, yeah. hours every day, right? Yeah. So I'm sure that's a reason for a lot of that abuse is that people can't sit back and take the time to, like, face some things. Yeah. You know, but you kind of use it as a positive, which is cool to be like, this is a good time to reflect and reset and like take appreciation and think about my life and think about my choices yeah i try to it's uh not always easy and i don't always make the right choices but no no one does you know looking back on it i, I mean i'd have done a lot of things different i uh you know when i made the choice to do this for a living like i said everything i've ever done i try to do it as best as i can um i always took that to account you know from growing up with that background you know with kind of do it all or don't do it right you know you know yeah. Um, well, and that's how rodeo is. A, it's 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 all or nothing kind of sport, especially fighting bulls. It's like you either out there getting aggressive, or you don't even need to be in there. Right. So you learn that mentality, and then you just take that into a different world. Yeah, and, it and makes it, you successful though. <laughs> well, and it wasn't always met with like you know open arms. I mean, there was times when I've been in bands where everyone else in the band was kind of just taking it as it comes and going along with it, and I'd be the guy like, "No, guys, we need to be doing this. We need to be pushing this." Blah blah blah. You know, a little bit more initiative. Yeah, you're you're the Sometimes one. Sometimes you throw it throws people aren't willing to have it. Exactly because yeah. you're so passionate about something, and if the other guys in that band, you know, they're not at that same level, you can kind of come off as being. It starts to clash. Yeah, you become a little, uh, I don't know, overzealous, aggressive on something. You turn into the band asshole. Right, and it kind of. I've been I've been the band asshole, and it's it's a crappy place to be in, yeah. because but it's like, hey, like what are we doing here? Like, yeah. we need to do something, you know, and you get your front, you know, it, it sucks to be that guy, yeah. you know? No, and it took me years to kind of 
back off of that a little bit and realize like, all right, man, you're, you write songs and you play the bass. Like, let's, let's be realistic right. here. There is a know? balance. It's yeah. like, you got to kind of learn when and how, Yeah. you know, it takes everybody to make, you know, the wheels turn and get, you know, go down the road and put on these shows and create these fans. You know, it's not, if it was just one person, nobody would have a band. It would just be a bunch of guys going down the road playing acoustic shows. Right. But that's just not the way it is. You know, yeah. some people can do that, but, you know, the vast majority, it takes a group of guys with the same mindset to go, all right, you know, we believe in this band, we believe in these songs, let's go take them out there and see people are going to dig them, you know. And that's, uh, there's no recipe to that. It's just something you got to do. You right. Know? You got to spend that time eating all such burritos and driving from <laughs> Amarillo to San Angelo to make, you know, 100 bucks, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, for like sure. I said, you paid know, your dues. I've paid them a few times over, I feel like. But it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. So after the damn quails, like where to go from there? I feel like that was a bigger turning point for you. It was. Career. It was. The damn quails, um, you know, I still love that band. It, it was one of those bands that I took tons of pride in and put everything I had into. You should, dude. They had great songs. Like that's, yeah. you know. And it was one of those bands that, you know, each night on stage, we didn't have a set list. We didn't, you know, if we were contract to play an hour and a half, we was going to play for two and a half. I mean, we, we would get up there and just throw Zone our head out. back and feel it. Yeah. That's awesome. And it was. It was kind of spiritual every night. And I totally immersed myself in that because I'd never been a part of anything like that. Yeah. You know, Dolly Shine was kind of a a rocking country band. We were real loud and kind of heavy, um, had a fiddle. And it was fun. And, and in its own way, you know, we had our tight synchronicity, like hits and stuff that were fun to kind yeah. of work up. But the Quails, it was a little looser. It was a little slower. The lyrics were kind of more out front. You know, mm-hmm. you were kind of there to compliment what, the lead singer was saying um and that was a point in my life too where like songwriting really became like a big deal yeah because i'd been writing songs for a while up until then but that was really being around brown white and gabe marshall seeing the way that those dudes wrote was pretty big for me yeah um but yeah that band you know it kind of ran into a few problems off off the road and um, band members kind of, you know, like we said, the party thing kind of took more precedent than the music, and um, we had to stop for a while. And in that time, I was kind of lost, man. I uh, didn't really have anything going on. I was doing some side work here and there. Like, I'd go fill in for, like, Austin Mead or um, Flatland Calvary. They've always been good friends. When they have needed help, I'd go fill in for them. Um but I was really just, you know, in a weird spot because I didn't know what I was going to do. This band that I poured my heart into and loved is no more, essentially. Yeah. Um, man, I went to work for my brother-in-law. He owned a tire shop in my hometown. I was breaking down semi-tires. and I've done that job. It sucks. Lug nuts and dirty, you know. and, and Real that was, dirty. That's such a dirty job. It is, you know. And, but that was another time for me to reflect and go, man. How old were you? I was probably 24, okay. 25. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I decided that I was going to move back to Lubbock and go to go back to college. So I packed up all my stuff. Um, a tire shop will do that. Yeah. It'll make anything look better. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I moved to Lubbock, 
and I got a job at a at a driving range, a golf driving range, um, and it had a little brick oven pizza place attached to it. And my job was to stoke that fire and keep that fire going in that pizza oven all day. Yeah. That's what I did. Yeah. I never went back to college. I just kind of got caught up doing that and writing a lot of songs. Go to Blue Light every night. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Those little time periods, I think, are are more important than we think they are. Because you feel like you're not doing anything. Right? Yeah. And you're just kind of in this space, and you're kind of just existing, and but you're figuring out things that you like and that you enjoy. And it's good because I feel like in, during those times, if you were to go do something, you'd probably be doing the wrong thing. Yeah. You didn't be investing. It's it's those periods where you just kind of like got to sit back, kind of figure yourself out as a young man, and then all of a sudden the right opportunity comes along, and you're ready for it. Yeah. You know, and is that kind of what happened? Yeah, man, it was a it was a sobering time for me because I remember, you know, I'd be in there working, sweating in front of this oven all night, and they'd have on it was called the Red Dirt Rebel was their local station in Lubbock, and they played Red Dirt music and Texas country, and and I'd be in there working and I'd hear my old bands come on, mm. you know, and I That'd was working tough. a bunch with a bunch of high school kids and college age kids, you know, and like I remember I was in there <laughs> beside the they had this little table where they build, you know would build the pizzas mm-hmm. and then give them to me to put in the oven and i was sitting there and this kid he was like 16 17 he was sitting there singing fool's gold you know and i'm standing there and i it's too embarrassed to be like oh yeah man, i was in that band yeah i just kept my mouth shut and it was a moment for me when i was like man <laughs> you know one moment you're playing ljt in front of thirty thousand yeah. people and they're all singing this song back to you and then a year later, you're working in a pizza shop, and the kid next to you is singing this song. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of... That's crazy. Yeah. You know, I was listening to an interview with Danny McBride, and he was talking about that. He had that show, uh, The Eastbound and Down, and there's a scene in there where he's this big-time professional baseball player. He kind of goes off the edge, and he has to go back, and he ends up being a substitute teacher after he's like a pro baseball player. Yeah. Right, and he's like trying to tell these fourth graders how like he was this big deal, and they don't care at all, right? But it was really funny because I listened to this interview, and it was kind of based on a little bit of truth, because he had just slowly gotten into acting at a later time, and was actually a substitute teacher. Went and filmed Tropic Thunder, and then went back to substitute teaching. You know, so it was, and he would just kind of find himself trying to like, you know. You know, yeah, I used to do cool stuff. You know, kind of embarrassed about it, and yeah. in the weird, and it happens to like big time people. You yeah, know, no, it's it was kind of funny. It was a time when I was, you know, I look back on it, and it was a low point. I mean, there were times when, when I was trying to find, you know, be motivated to do other things. You know, it, it was a low point for me. Um, uh, I mean, it was a about nine months of that, and and I was trying. You know, I was writing songs and going to Blue Lights, little open mic thing that they were doing, and me and Charlie Stout were drinking burner shots every night. You know, it was like, I don't know, we were just sitting around talking about the good old days, you know, and I was 25 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and it felt like, you know, those days were already behind me, and it was time for me to do something else. And I was right there, man. I was right there about to go back to school and figure out whatever something else was. And I got a call one day from our old manager that managed the damn quills. He called me up and said, what are you doing, man? I said, oh, I'm living out in Lubbock. Is he playing? 
And at that point, dude, I hadn't picked up a bass in probably close to a year. I just set it down and didn't even think about opening the case. And he's like, well, I got an artist that bass player just quit. Um, can you be in Austin this weekend? And this was a Monday. And I was like, yeah, sure. Who's with? And he's like, her name's Sonny Sweeney. And I was like, yeah, I've heard of her. Mm. So, all right, I'm going to send you some songs, work them up, be here 12 o'clock Saturday. All right. There you go. And I drove a little 95 five-speed Ford Ranger, dude, no cruise control. And I learned those songs and drove all the way to Austin that Saturday. Took off work. Slammed out Ford Ranger, too, Oh, right? yeah, it was slammed, dude. My boy. Little Mini red. trucking. <laughs> little red, yeah. That was mini trucking hard. Had a camper shell on it. Heck, yeah, dude. Um, yeah. Learned those songs. And, dude, like, while I was learning those songs, like I said, I was knocking off the rust. I hadn't played bass in, in a while. And, and it was, you know, first time in nine months that I kind of – nerve-wracking, huh? Yeah, Big I kind of had something to, like, look forward to and, like, this is, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing type deal. And I every night I'd get off work and I'd play those songs till 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning. Just I wanted to make sure that when I got there, like, there was no question, you know, that I was a guy for this job. And I did. I went down audition, got the gig, and I was with her for, shit, going on four years. Till yeah. recently, right? Yep. And then that's this is kind of what sparked your move to Nashville. So yeah, yeah. What happened there? You get another call, kind of right? Yeah, you know, I we did a lot of cool things, man. Um, you were playing big shows, like yeah, we we did a whole tour uh, run with uh, Bob Seger. Did some stuff with Miranda Lambert and John Party. I mean, we got to do some arena shows with her. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. You know, stuff that with the Quails and with Dolly Shine, you know, we played pretty big shows for this region. Yeah. Amphitheaters. We'll do LJT, Larry Joe Taylor. Um, but these shows were like Larry Joe Taylor every night. You know? Right. Yeah. It was uh, a whole other level of that kind of like, uh, you know, talking going back to the bullfight and like feeling that like intensity, like, man, like – you're craving it for whatever reason that came back to me heavy it's like man this is this is what i'm supposed to be doing you yeah know? yeah we went to japan did a whole run over in japan i didn't know that dude yeah i want to go to japan so bad yeah it's i might gnarly. not come back <laughs> but no man i had a great time in that band and and opened up a lot of new doors for me and um you know kind of got to that point where it felt like i needed to move on you mm-hmm. know so um yeah i got this opportunity out of nashville and Made the move to Nashville, so that's what I'm doing now. Who are you playing with now? I'm working for a guy named Ward Davis, artist. He's um, written a bunch of songs for like Cody Jinx, guys like that, Paul oh, okay. Cawthon. Yeah, yeah. I need no. to look up his stuff. I, yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. Stuff. It's good stuff. And then and then talk about your side projects, the turnbacks. Yeah, drop tons, turnbacks. Um, those are kind of where you're putting more of those creative juices. Yeah, a little yeah, outlet yeah. For that. Yeah, that's where like the stuff that I write. You know, it's kind of going the turnbacks. Um, my old college buddy, Haystack, Kevin Foster, we've been buddies since, crap, since we were in high school. And that dude's a monster. Yeah, a multi-instrumentalist, plays fiddle, banjo, mandolin guitar, sings his ass off. I mean, Haystack's, he's a real deal. That um, It was cool watching you guys play. Um and I love your songs too. And there's a lot of rodeo references in them. And I'm just like, there's you just don't get a lot of that anymore. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's probably probably one of the things that Dolly Shine why it was so popular is that there's only a handful of those rodeo guys that are singing or that are out there. Yeah. And so when they do write a song, like people really everybody's starving for it. 
For sure. No. Right, because everybody, like, you know, you know, you think of all these big acts that write songs about rodeo, but it's like, what do they know about it? Right. Like, nothing. So when somebody that does write song, it's, like, even more interesting. Like, I was really entertained. Like, and I'm not a guy that really listens to lyrics that much. It's kind of, I'm all about, like, rhythm and everything else. But with the turnbacks, I was definitely, like, tuned in to what you were saying. And it was like one of the first times I remember just really sitting there enjoying like listening to the lyrics. Cool. And then Haystack was over there shredding. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, oh, cool. Like badass yeah. guitar solo. And then, you know, you using like rodeo terminology and stuff, I just felt special to me. Yeah, man. What, they say right what you know, you know? Yeah. No, and, you know, back to Dolly Sean, McGinn, Zach McGinn, lead singer, he, he's a real deal in that sense. You know, you know, you grew up with him. He, Got on bulls for a long time. Still ranches out in West Texas. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. one of them. You know? He used to call me to help him go fill feeders and yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, 120 pound me trying to carry up a 50 pound yeah man. sack of corn up a ladder. That was not good. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, and there's there's guys like that in the scene. Like you know, I've done a few fill in shows for uh, Reed Saldall and Reed's bass player. He used to get on bulls. Oh, really, Reed. He used to get on bulls back in Oklahoma. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, there's there's guys sprinkled around the music scene that kind of come from that world. That's cool, and you would never know. No. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's uh, it's cool. It really does overlap a lot more than you think. Yeah. And I like that that's... I kind of want that to be shown more. I mean, that's another reason for doing stuff like this. Because like people meet you now, they're going to know you as, you know, a guy who's, you know, big in the music world and has played with a lot of people. But they might not know that, you know, you grew up as part of a tribe and your dad raised bucking bulls and you were fighting bulls and, like, doing all this other stuff. And I, I love those backstories. Like, you tell me Reed used to get on bulls? Like, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, Reed's dude's such a rock star looking guy. It's like, okay. Yeah, like, man. He's, you know, you never know if he's even stepped foot in an arena. Right. So well, it's, And I think that's kind of what is kind of cool about this scene, too, is a lot of these kids come from those places, you know, where that's kind of all you were exposed to growing up yeah you know you might have had an older cousin or an uncle that got on bulls and you looked up to him and when you got of age you had to give it a shot you yeah know? no that's, that's what you did those were your heroes yeah and that was my whole deal you know my dad fought bulls i grew up loving you know every year when i was a kid i was a rodeo clown for halloween yeah you know yeah. I, that's what i wanted to do yeah and um, for not for halloween i'm sure you were yeah. like running around in baggies oh in, yeah in off season yeah you know so when i got a chance you know I give it a shot, and yeah. I was by no means, you know, very. I would have never gone to the NFR like Webster or anybody like that, but it was fun, and um, you did it. Yeah, you know, you really did it. I took a, enough hookings. I've got enough scars and mangled up digits to kind of, you know, look back on it on those days. But yeah, but yeah, you know, I just kind of took what getting. You know, that's you learn how to travel doing that too. Yeah, you know, I mean, me and my pops used to throw up little twin size mattress in the back of a ford excursion and go to rodeos you know and yeah sleep in the back of that excursion i mean that's me i mean i for many years of my life lived in a horse trailer or you know a, a bus yeah. or an rv and then i get out on my own and it's like well i guess i'm gonna live in a fema trailer you know too and it's, you just get used to that kind of traveling nomad lifestyle where yeah. you're sleeping in a bed this wide and it's just it's not a problem no no a nine hour drive to me is like you know an hour drive for anybody else right I mean, yeah it's just the way it is I've, I've gotten used to it and i actually look forward to it like i said that window time you got a lot of time to think about your next move or or what's going on it gives you that time to reflect and go 
all right, I'm either on the right track or I need to change something up. I need to do this, I need to do that. But that's why nine to fives are really hard for guys like us. Like yeah. when I was working jobs like that, I mean, I loved it when I had to go run parts. It was like, thank God, I'm going to get out of the shop and go drive for the next hour. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's really hard to just, I can't come back to the same place every day with the same routine at the same time, mm-hmm. even at the same time. Like we got to move, we got to mix things right. up. I've tried it, man. Hell, <laughs> I've worked a bunch of jobs, man. You know, like I said, in those early days when you, you're trying to make a living doing it, but you, it's not making sense yet, you've got to do whatever you can to make right. that truck payment, make that cell phone payment, you know? Yeah. Like I said, I've worked at tire shops. I worked at a cookie factory in the warehouse <laughs> one time running a forklift. Um, yeah. I worked at Walmart. Yeah. 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 That yeah. Sucked. I worked that was at, a low point. I worked at a Maloof's Western Wear one time in yeah. Level Land, creasing hats. I worked at a vet clinic when I was in college working on show pigs i mean i've i've had a few of them jobs like that you yeah know? just all over but it's the same deal you get up every day and do the same thing and at some point it's like i can either spend my life helping somebody you know build their dream or i can go chase mine right you know and Might if well. it doesn't work out you know i give it a good shot there's always work you can be found you mm-hmm. know well what's next for you what's next that's a million dollar question man <laughs> i'm just going to Keep doing what I'm doing, man. See what Nashville has to offer. Um, I'm enjoying, you know, this band. It's a group of guys that it feels like, you know, I kind of get that Dolly Shine, Damn Quells, you know, band of brothers feeling again. You that's know? good. That's good yeah. to hear. Yeah. Because I don't know how it is for you. Like, I've always been a band guy, a small-time band guy, you know, and you're a guy that it's like you could go play an arena one weekend and then, like, drive five hours, come play with us in front of ten people. So it's like I'm always curious of your perspective. On, Man, I on, just on I, I want to play good music, you know, and it doesn't matter what the genre is. If it doesn't, like, interest me, like, you know, with the, the drop times, first time I heard Connor sing, I was like, man, he's writing some, some good shit, you yeah. know. It caught my ear and it's like, I want to be part of this somehow and still do, you know. I uh, Everybody that I talk to, I, I talk, tell them about the drop times, you know. Yeah. It's um, it's something that I'm kind of proud of, for sure. It's good to have you, man. It's like that elder that's kind of been there and done that, come back. It's like, what, what do we do? <laughs> elder Dylan. No. Well, tell people how they can uh, keep up with you. What's the um, best way? Instagram's probably the mm-hmm. best. And uh, you have linked on Instagram all the bands you've played with, yeah. pretty much, right? Yeah. Or, or are playing with, mm-hmm. you're connected with, so they can kind of go and see your music through that yeah yeah they can check out all the stuff um got a couple of my originals up on youtube just talking to luke we kind of want to get something together we can get all that down and you know because luke's got great stuff you know nelson's got great stuff everybody in this kind of hill country playboys you know collective is very creative and has Uh, has stuff that that needs to be heard yeah man i know it's kind of hokey but it'd be cool i should have thought about you like playing a song would you even do that? Or would you feel too hokey no, about that? No, hell, podcast? I'd play a song. I think that'd be cool. We'll get that. We'll get Note one to next self. Time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, next time, round two. Yeah. All yeah, right, brother. Sure. Good talking with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir.